I'd like you to turn to John's Gospel, to chapter 1. And you'll notice in our reading there was no mention of Joseph, Mary, Bethlehem, a stable, no mention of shepherds, a star, an angel, or even a baby. In fact, John, in the greatest economy of words, gives us the incarnation. Pithily said in verse 14, in just these words, the word was made flesh. This is the essence of the incarnation. This is what we choose to call Christmas Day. This is what it's all about. The word was made flesh. We come back to this verse often. It's like a well of water. You come back and there's something fresh every time that you come. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. God with us. What a miracle. How can we possibly understand how God, who is infinite, outside of time, outside of space, He is spirit, can become finite, time-zoned, limited to an extent. We have here the word logos. There's no mention of Christ. He's called the Word in verse 1, three times. The Word, the Word, the Word. And again in verse 14, no mention of Christ. The Logos. Why does it use that word in the Greek? It means the one who came to share a message. The one who came to reveal. The one who put into words what we cannot see. What we cannot truly understand. Words leave something left for the imagination. The Word. What a wonderful description of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word. The one who came to reveal a message to all people. But we've read that the world rejected the Word. He was in the world and the world was made by him, the great creator, but the world knew him not. There was a willing rejection. Many reject Christ and the Word. He came unto his own, verse 11, and his own received him not. There was a defiant, willing rejection of God. That hurts. The one that made the world, rejected by the world. But then there's a reception in verse 12 and 13. It's not a reception because of the will of man, but it's of God. For somebody to receive and accept Jesus Christ, this is a spiritual work, a work which God must do to take away the defiance and the rejection and to open our heart up and to receive Christ, the Word. As many as received him, to them gave he the power, 
We don't have any power on our own. We are dead. We're fallen. We're born into sin. We cannot choose God. He had to choose us. That's what he does. He gives us the power so that willingly we can choose God. And he gives us the power to become the sons of God. And to them that believe on his name. But I want to think very briefly this morning of these words in verse 14. The word was made flesh. If you get a coin out of your pocket, we don't have many coins now, it's all plastic, or maybe it's nothing. You just have a phone or a watch, and that's your money. But in olden days, if we can say that, if you looked at a coin, there was two sides. And that's just a picture of what Christ is. He's God and man, indivisible. He always was God, and he became man. This is what was written in A.D. 451. This is so helpful. This describes what confuses people so much the two natures of Christ, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, all the cults, they go wrong here. Jesus is recognized in two natures, God and man. Without confusion, change, division, or separation, God and man. The distinction of his two natures in no way cancels or annuls their union, but each being preserved to form one person, one and the same Son, the only begotten God and the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me give you just a few aspects of what the incarnation means and what this term, the word, the logos, was made or became flesh, frail, limited, time-bound, fragile flesh, something which is almost too difficult to understand. The incarnation, firstly, was not the beginning of the Son of God. He always was. That's what verse 1 says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Lord Jesus Christ, before he went to the cross, he said this, Glorify thou me, speaking to his Father, with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Before there was anything, time, space, matter, Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit were together. They were and still are one. That's the first point. This was not the beginning of Christ. It was just the beginning of his human life. Secondly, with Christ becoming man, it didn't result in the deletion or the subtraction of 
any aspects of his divinity. And again, people struggle with this. Charles Wesley, in the hymn that we shall sing shortly, I think he puts it perfectly. Mild he lays his glory by. The modern translations, I think they get it wrong. When they say, and some of our hymns, I think, say this slightly wrongly, he emptied himself. That cannot be. No, Philippians 2, verses 7 and 9 says in our grand authorized version, he made himself of no reputation. It was willing. It was conscious. It was intentional. He humbled himself. And in due time, God the Father hath highly exalted him. An illustration. In our cars, many of them today, I don't know how fast your car can go. There's children here that quite like modern, fast cars. But you can't use the full range, the speed that your car can go. 150 160 miles an hour, but it's illegal. And in our cars today, we have either a button called cruise control or the speed limiter. Well, this is a very poor illustration, but it's as though the eternal Son of God with his infinite power chose willingly to limit himself, to put a limitation because he had to, because it was necessary. But it didn't delete or subtract from his power and from his glory. He chose to put it to one side. He took on a limitation for himself. Thirdly, the incarnation. Christ is, as it describes in the Gospels and elsewhere, the full image and the expression of the Father. Christ said, if you know me, you know the Father. But it was necessary that he should become a human being. Hebrews 1, 2 and 3 says this, God spoke to us, through his Son, being the brightness of his glory and the express, the exact copy, a replica of his person. Oh, that's hard to understand. How can an exact replica be put into a human body? It goes on to say, he as Christ... He didn't only make all things, he upheld all things by the word of his power. But fourthly, we can say this, Christ becoming man, the incarnation, is the fullest and the most complete display and demonstration of his humility. Could Christ have come any lower? Was it possible for him to take 
a lower position than a servant and a baby with human parents that he had to and chose to and did obey, could he have taken a frailer form? Could he have been more humbled than he was? What an astonishing way to come. The very opposite of the way kings and queens come. The red carpet rolled out, the chauffeurs, the helicopters flying above. Christ comes in the most lowly way possible, as a mere baby, taking on human flesh. And he would live his whole life in dependence upon his heavenly Father, as we should, but we don't. He came humbly, but fifthly and very briefly, the incarnation was no accident. It wasn't a random event. Its time, its place, its manner, his names, his many names, were all laid down. Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting One, the Desire of Nations, the Word, all these were determined. His parents didn't have to choose his name. It was chosen for them. Jesus, the one who would come on a rescue mission to a world that needed rescuing, saving, delivering. And he came to do all that in the fullness of time. He came full of grace. And truth, these things are a marvel, they're a wonder. They were planned. Everything. All about his life. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet fully come. Because he's going to the cross on the day of the Passover in a set, appointed time. Sixthly, these things can never be fully understood. Our feeble minds, we look in, we delve deeply, but we're baffled. And you know that's how it should be. If you think you understand God and man, you've not really scratched the surface. Because every time we come to this passage, we see something more and more, and more. What did the Lord say? Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. We can look on the surface. We can try and get down a little. But these things are so deep. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are beyond our understanding. But finally, and here's the most important point this morning, the incarnation is absolutely pivotal and necessary for salvation. If you don't understand Christ as God and man, you cannot be saved. You cannot go to heaven. 
Because why did he come to earth? He came so that you could go to heaven. He became a man so that you could rise to be with him. This is what it says in Hebrews 2, 17. It behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest to make reconciliation for the sins of who? His people. That's why he came. He came to reconcile God and man. And to do that, he had to become God and man so that we could be joined because we're separated from God. We're cut off. And so it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren. The incarnation shows the greatness of God, one so low, who could be lifted up by men? No. By his heavenly Father, when he would rise from the grave and ascend to be with his Father in heaven, the greatness of God is seen from the height that he came down to the height that he rose up. It shows the accessibility of God to human beings. How could we identify with God when he's so far, he's so remote, he's a spirit, we can't see him. And yet in Christ he became flesh so that we could almost touch him, so that we could see him and understand all the attributes of God that can be communicated. There's so much of God that we cannot possibly understand. His infinity, the fact that he is self-sufficient, he doesn't need you, he doesn't need me, but there are qualities of God that we can understand. His faithfulness, his love, his compassion, his tenderness, his empathy. And all these are found in Jesus Christ, the accessibility of God, his wonderful condescension. Oh, what matchless condescension the eternal God displays. It shows to us that the ways of God are sublime infinite, so much above us, the incarnation, the Word was made flesh and dwelt, lived among us, and we beheld something of his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full, full of grace and truth. Do you know that Savior today? Do you identify with him? He came down so that you can rise up. The one that made man 
was made man for you and for me if you would only come to him and acknowledge him as your saviour today.